With violent hurricanes, wildfires, and floods coming at a more rapid pace, we're seeing the devastating impact of climate change. Now gaining momentum are calls for wealthier nations to pay for the disproportionately larger impact they've had on the environment. What's this all about? I'm Roger Chang, this is your Daily Charge. Joining me to discuss this issue is CNET senior reporter Katie Collins. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Roger. So we've all heard of climate change as a general principle and something that's affecting our lives, but this talk of uh, loss and damage, which is a specific term, and this idea of reparations for this, that seems relatively new. What What is this all about? Yeah, so um, when it comes to the climate crisis, we're obviously looking at this kind of huge global problem. And, you know, there are different strategies that we have for solving it um, or fighting against it, at least. Um, we have a few different options. You know, we have adaptation, which is, you know, adapting things um, to try and, you know, adapting technologies and adapting the way that we live in order to adapt to the changes that we're seeing in weather and, and other factors. We have mitigation, which is trying to stop the climate crisis from happening altogether. Um, and both these things are really important, but there's this third element um, that is kind of lesser talked about, which is loss and damage. Um, and this is looking specifically at um, the things that are already happening, um, the damage that's already taking place around the world, um, the losses that people are experiencing, whether that be of their homes, of their livelihoods, their lands, um, their um, education, um, and and thinking about how do we um, how do we tackle this problem? This problem, which is probably out of all of them, the most immediate problem that we're looking at. Right, and and uh, the idea here is that. The wealthiest nations, uh, who presumably are the are the biggest polluters, would help provide compensation to countries, to communities that have suffered from from the environmental damage that they've sort of wrought. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. So there's a kind of um, a generally agreed upon understanding, which you know I think all world leaders, regardless of where they're from, agree upon, which is that um, the countries that have historically been the biggest emitters um, and have caused climate change and have grown rich off the back of industrialization and other um, emitting activities um, are, the, are the ones that are least likely to be affected. Um, and, you know, we are seeing effects, but they are still least likely to be affected. The, the countries that are the most likely to be affected and uh, also being the first affected are countries, um, small island states, um, countries in the developing world, which, you know, have historically, um, you know, contributed very, very little to the climate crisis. Um, and, you know, it's they are the countries that are really suffering already because of this. And the idea is that um, the richer countries should help um, pay for some of the damage that is being done and the losses that are occurring um, and shouldn't leave it to these small countries, many of which you know, are already paying off massive debts to the developed world as it is um, and you know, don't have the money and the resources to deal with this extra problem that they're now being faced with. And this... To be honest, it's not something I'd, I'd really heard about. I'm curious how how long this conversation has been around, and, and um, why, or or if it's just sort of getting traction now. Well, I think you know, first of all, um, the fact that you haven't heard about it, people don't necessarily want people to know about this because um, you know, world leaders of rich countries don't want more pressure on them 
um, to act on this. Um, and uh, But it actually has been around for around 30 years. You know, this movement has slowly been growing. And as we've seen, you know, the effects and the impacts of climate change really starting to grow, um, you know, at, so has the, the kind of chorus of voices grown alongside it, um, you know, saying this is happening now. We need urgent funding. Um, to to deal with this, um, and you know it's it's been really hard to kind of get mainstream traction for this and drag it out of the shadows and place it kind of front and center. But I think that you know that is something that is changing right now. Um, you know this is a this is a kind of a, an issue that is growing in importance and it's also growing in visibility. And who are some of the biggest supporters of this movement? Um, I mean, it, you probably won't be surprised to hear that the the biggest supporters and the first supporters are, you know, those small island states that, you know, are atolls out in the middle of um, the oceans, the, uh, you know, places like Tuvalu and the, the Maldives, you know, they were the first to raise the alarm about loss and damage. And, you know, we've um, seen other developed, uh, other developing countries around the world and small countries, um, sort of join that chorus of voices and it's it's got louder and you know there's a huge um there's a huge kind of global climate climate justice movement and they have really you know they've been really fighting for loss and damage so we have a kind of a combination of countries and world leaders um fighting for this alongside uh you know academics and scientists and um uh climate justice activists as well what about some of the, the wealthy nations like like the U.S.? Are they just sort of in a state of denial? Or like, I'm curious how the ones who would end up having to pay, like what is what is their stance? And are there are there nations in that wealthier block that are actually supporting this movement? Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting because just as with other climate justice matters, um, they will definitely say that they support it in theory and they will say, you know, they'll make all the right noises about supporting it and say how important it is. But when it actually comes to commitments, they don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, they, they are really resisting it. And, you know, I think especially the US and um, also the, U the EU as a kind of a block of countries, you know, not all countries within the EU, we're definitely seeing countries, individual countries coming forward now starting to say, um, you know, we are, we really want to try and find a way to, to, work out how we're going to fund this how we're going to you know fund this in order to you know because the stakes are high even for developed countries um you know if 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 things continue as as is there's going to be you know a massive there's going to be massive global migration as people have are forced away from their homes and their lands that they can no longer longer survive on so you know it really is in everyone's interests to say how do we you know ensure that you know we we prevent this um global ecological crisis growing into a humanitarian one um, so there are countries that are supporting it um, and trying to work out a way the u.s i would say is probably the most resistant right right and, and playing devil's advocate like in the u.s you know speaking of reparations there's a lot of talk about reparations for black americans and that hasn't made much headways and that's for americans I i'm curious how like what what the argument is being made for like these countries to actually gather the political will to actually set aside funds for other folks knowing full well that the us already funds a number of initiatives overseas but um you know on the sort of the list of the prior list of things that that politicians kind of look at i i, 
Like, I don't know where this would rank, considering this mm. technically doesn't affect Americans. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, I think it's interesting. There, there are kind of two points there. I mean, firstly, you know, there are loss. It's it's kind of very easy for a lot of Americans, especially over the past year, to understand, you know, that they are affected by loss and damage as well. You know, seeing the extreme weather events. So, you know, I think it's it, they aren't they. Um, the difference is, of course, they have the money to rebuild, and you know, um, by you know, following the the um, Kentucky tornado last month, you know, Biden promised money to rebuild everything, um, yeah. which is, you know, is the big difference. But, you know, I think that the difference here is, you're right, it's not a platform that American politicians can stand on because it's not a domestic issue. But, you know, there is this kind of other layer of this global pressure that the US, you know, in order to have global trade agreements, in order to operate, you know, with, um, uh, you know, in in conjunction with other countries around the world in order to, you know, be part of the global diplomacy scene that is going to, that means that, you know, there is, there are other factors from coming from outside the U S an enormous amount of pressure um, that, you know, can impact funding and what, ha what comes from within the U S as well. Um, and, you know, it's going to be much harder for the U S to resist if it's closest allies. I mean, at the moment, these smaller countries, they really do struggle in the face of, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see, um, you know, you, you actually have pictures of, of the negotiators gathering to talk about this and you have John, pictures of John Kerry, who's this special presidential envoy for climate, you know, with surrounded by his allies literally pressuring and negotiating smaller countries into, um, you know, accepting less. Um, but, you know, if those allies start to um, say, no, you know, we're going to take more responsibility, you know, the US will have to play its part. Um, so it's not, you know, it could, it could potentially, the, the US leadership could potentially face pressure from, from two fronts. You know, if, if people, if citizens from within the US get behind this movement, um, you know, it could face they could face pressure that way, but also internationally. That's a good point. And like I said, it's I don't think it's an issue that a lot of Americans are aware of. At least, maybe I'm just being ignorant because I wasn't really aware of this issue. I I'm curious. No, I think where... that's fair. A lot of people are not. So you know. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for making me feel better about that. But um, you know, beyond your story, which I would recommend our, our listeners actually read through because it's. It's a great description of it, but uh, in terms of other resources or places to further educate themselves about this, uh, like where, I mean, where would you point to our, our listeners to? Um, yeah, I would say that there are so many great resources out there. Um, you know, when it comes to finding out what's going on locally, um, you know, there are there will always be people local to you you know, involved in the climate justice movement. Um, you know, you can search out organizations that are, um, that are, you know, that have a kind of global focus, but are doing things in your local area. You know, I think another thing is if, if you, if you're, if you really care about this, of course you can, you know, get in touch with your, your local um, elected representative and let them know that you care about it as well. Um, but um, yeah, I think that there are, you know, there are some really interesting um, people within this movement. There are, um, I would really recommend um, 
the um, Ugandan activist uh, Vanessa Nakata, who is um, one of the most prolific voices recently at COP26, has just um, written a book um, and uh, about her own experiences as a climate just- justice activist growing up in Uganda. She's a very powerful speaker. Um, uh, I would definitely recommend maybe reading her book about her because I think the thing is like you know we can only we we need to start by listening to people's experiences from around the world um, and searching those voices out and and hearing them and listening to them Um, and you know because that's you know that's the only way that we can really understand what's going on here. No that's a great point right now a lot of this is an abstract discussion I think getting a sense of what how folks' lives are actually being impacted in a, in a real way definitely goes a long way to giving folks insight into this issue. Katie, thank you for your time. You can check out her story on CNET.com. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge or sign for direct text messages from me by heading to CNET.co slash Daily Charge. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening. <laughs>